This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Ready for a more successful and fulfilled life? It is time for Real Answers, a transformational hour with Dr. Kate Siner, live broadcasting to the 50 states and internationally. Dare to go deep. Change yourself, change the world. Hi, this is Dr. Kate Siner, and this is Real Answers. And this week, we're going to be talking about how we can use play in our everyday lives um, in order to uh, be more creative, more in touch, more intuitive, more uh, innovative in, in our lives. So one of the main things to uh, think about uh, play um, or a way to define play that kind of helps us get um, get on board with it is the idea that it is a focused on process rather than outcome right it, it, instead of doing something specifically in order to have a, a deliberate type of outcome we can do something that really is just about how it feels to do it and so you've heard me talk about this from different perspectives as far as what it feels like, you know, to uh, be more engaged in the process of something versus focused on the outcome. Because we tend to be so outcome driven that our, our lives can start to be about the destination rather than about the process as that, you know, uh, saying goes. So, uh, you know, there there are kind of a, two different components, right, um, of, of what I want to talk about today in relationship to how play factors into our life. So um, one is uh, the idea of play that takes us out of the parameters of our daily lives. And I want to talk about it in relationship to something else that also has a very valuable um, role in our lives, but has a slightly different way of being constructed. It also helps us with clarity and innovation and, uh, you know, getting more in touch with what it is that we want, all of that kind of stuff. And that's ritual. So ritual is, a, is sort of a deliberate container for something. And it, it, what is similar about ritual and play is that they provide a way of working towards a solution or resolution, right? Play can do the same thing. It can provide through the process of play, through following what we enjoy, through opening up to, you know, the spontaneous, we can discover new solutions to something that is, uh, you know, remains unresolved in our life or something that we want to or need to be focused on. So, however, this, uh, this type of focus that we have in, in ritual, like I said, is something so 
it's it's much more deliberate. It's much more focused. And in that in that in that focus that we can have, um, we can do all it does really wonderful things for the brain. And these things are once again paralleled. We see similarities in in play, which is that even if people, there's a really great article uh, that came out in Scientific American that was talking about even if we don't um, believe in rituals. So whether or not we believe in them, they th- we think that they actually work, they have a positive effect on our, our, our overall state. So when we do something as small as, you know, uh, saying something every time that we walk out of the door of work on Friday or, you know, waking up in the morning and, and saying that, you know, we're grateful for something, you know, anything like that from, from that simple to a really elaborate ritual helps us solve the problems at hand, helps us create more of what it wa- uh, we want. It helps to get our whole, our mind on board with the direction that we're trying to go in. So it's really, it's really pretty great. So, uh, the, the reason that I bring that up is because a lot of times what is valuable about ritual and valuable about play can get lost in the process. And some people will feel more comfortable when it comes to something uh, like a ritual because it either feels compulsive or important or, you know, it, it seems more serious or significant. And um, other people will kind of tend to shy away from that because that it doesn't it doesn't work with their belief system. And play is is actually very similar. Uh, many of us have very strong beliefs around play and whether or not adults specifically and even kids should have play incorporated into their lives, whether or not it's useful or beneficial. And one of the things that's happened, uh, you know, there's been more and more dialogue about this in the benefits of play, especially for children, how it helps them with their, um, their psychological development, um, how it helps them with their, you know, their ability to reason. Um, and it also, in a similar way to ritual, creates a way that children can work on problems in their lives or challenges in their lives. And a really great example was given in this scientific American um, uh, uh, article. And it was saying that there were these two sisters and these two sisters would play being sisters. And when they played being sisters, they would be kind of their, what they idealized, what they thought sisters should be like. So, you know, they would always be on the same page. They'd like the same things. They'd always be super nice to each other. And this in contrast to how they were in their everyday life, which was not as conscious because they just were doing what they had never really questioned. Right. So 
in a similar way to how ritual can give us perspective on something in our life and allow us to work out something in another format, this is a really great example of how play also allows these children to work out something in a different format. So they were able to consciously examine or more playfully examine what they believed were the rules about their uh, their relationship as sisters. What does that mean? How they, should they act? You know, and they were able to explore that. So by it, that exploration, no doubt over time, they came to new understandings and new con- con- conclusions about what it meant to be sisters. So that learning is very important. What they also say, and, and this has been talked about um, as far as like as as the education of children starts getting younger and younger, one of the things that's been spoken about is how the absence of play inside, you know, our educational facilities is actually limiting the cognitive growth of children. Because they are not able to freely problem solve, which is going to limit their ability ultimately to think outside of the box. And it's going to limit their ability to uh, reason through a, a situation. And I'll give an example of, of how um, we can take that, that, uh, what you what you get naturally in play and show a counterpoint to it. Right? If if you have if a child has, you know, a stick, a box, and a rock, right? And they're and they're looking for something to do, you know, they they're gonna figure out some way to do something with that that stick, that box, and that rock, which is going to require quite a bit of creativity. And potentially some problem solving. Maybe they come to an idea of something they want to do, but they need an additional material. They need to figure out what type of material might work. Now, the counterpoint to that is if you looked at something like um, uh, a toy that only has one function. Right? So what you're able to do is you're able to uh, either follow the instructions or you're able to, you know, get the toy to do the one function. And, and in that, there's very little creativity and there's very little thinking outside the box. Unfortunately, kids can um, be inventive regardless of, of how confining their, their materials are. But what happens is, is it, the, it teaches the kids to think very along very narrow lines, limiting their ability to, you know, troubleshoot, problem solve, and, and think creatively. And ultimately, this translates into lives and thinkers, people inside their lives, who are not as capable at, at that as well. And if we look at what's happening in the work world right now, one of the buzzwords is creativity and innovation. And that if you can't innovate in your business, then you really can't stay viable. 
Yet we have an educational system that what it's doing is it's doing the opposite to the kids that are coming through. And we have a whole bunch of other things that are, you know, socially acceptable in the realm of, you know, toys and activities that are doing the same thing. So, you know, this, this inability to work through problems doesn't just show up for people in, say, their work life. It shows up in their personal relationships as well. It shows up in their relationship to themselves. So without this time to freely explore as kids, it can be disruptive to a number of different processes that we know are really helpful to adults. But it's important not to leave it there because in some cases it is left there. Well, if kids are more playful, then they, you know, they uh, will you know, benefit from it later in life. And for those people who have spiritual beliefs or religious beliefs, they might be able to get behind something um, like a ritual. Um, but if you take uh, uh, a person who isn't creative, who uh, doesn't problem solve, and you have them create a ritual for themselves, chances are it's not going to be as deep or as productive as it could be. So it also limits the effectiveness of the little things that we do regularly in our life uh, um, on a regular basis in order to advance it. In addition to this, um Many people will be dismissive, and that's one of the things why I like the Scientific American article. Many people will be dismissive of something like ritual, or or they'll just accept it wholeheartedly. There won't be a kind of an intellectual understanding of you know what it's all about, which is totally fine. It works anyway. But when this article says, hey, look, this is something that even if you don't think it works, even if you're not a spiritual or religious person, it still has a positive effect for you. That starts to say something about, you know, its usefulness as a tool in people's lives. And so what I often do, instead of calling them rituals, I call them practices. Um, and practices are things that you do in a deliberate way. Um, for a deliberate amount of time uh, so that you can raise your awareness and also direct more consciously direct the outcome that neutralizes it a little, little bit, but the, the effect is still the same. The, uh, the effect is still, um, something that's very beneficial. So if we start to um, push away these types of things as an adult, which very a good portion of the population would kind of discourage certain types of play for adults and discourage this concept of, of ritual um, for anyone saying that it's superstitious and uh, or overly religious or what have you. So when these things are marginalized, they drastically affect our way of being able to be in, in the world. Um, they limit our problem-solving skills. They limit our ability to come up with innovative new solutions to situations. 
When you look at businesses that are choosing to have fun and play and even free time be an instrumental part of the work that they do or that the work day because they've recognized that it has a very positive effect on the overall outcome. That is the mental health of the people involved. Uh, that is their productivity. Uh, that is their ability to in- innovate. So it all starts to come back to being quite important. How we, quite important how we are able to, you know, engage with play. So I'm going to, for this particular conversation today, I'm going to put ritual on the sideline. Um, I wanted to draw in a connection because I think it's very helpful to be able to see how um, both play and ritual overlap with each other. And some rituals are exceptionally playful. Uh, you know, in that way, they're giving sort of a serious framework to something that is, uh, is just, um, playful. So play. Um, in order for play to be, uh, um, in order for play to have its effect on our, our lives, uh, we really only need to remember to do one thing, and that's to engage in it. And what you will probably see if you look at your life, unless you've gotten very good or you're a naturally uh, playful person, is you'll probably look at you have quite a bit more uh, linear thinking task related activities that you need to do uh, versus playful time. You know, even um, even as free as, say, a brainstorming session might get at home or, or at work, even as free as that might get, there's always still a slightly different element there. Very, very infrequently do people who are involved in a brainstorming session actually uh, let go completely and just allow themselves to play with whatever it is that they are taking a look at because that play, the, the most important part of play that I mentioned before is that it is process, not outcome. So we have to lose ourselves in the process of it. And because of losing ourselves in the process of it, we can then discover all sorts of wonderful things and if nothing else, we get a freedom from that other way of doing things, that, you know, kind of linear, task-oriented, uh, driven way of doing things. So I want to talk some more about that, um, how we can use play uh, in our lives. And um, I will do that right after this commercial break. So I'll be back in just a couple minutes. Author 
and educator, Dr. Kate Siner wants to help you connect with your purpose and passion. With 18 years in the field of personal development, a Ph.D. in psychology, and plenty of real-life experience from the School of Hard Knocks, Dr. Kate will inspire you not just to change your life, but the world for the better. Her mentoring and programs provide effective tools and tailored support that meets you where you are and grows as you do. For more information, visit www.katesiner.com. We all want to be happier, more fulfilled, more successful. But the question is how? Dr. Kate Siner provides programs and mentoring that give you the real-life tools to get the results you wish to see. Her personally tailored services combine almost two decades of work with the grit and compassion that can only come from a life fully and passionately lived. Get the support you need to continue on your path of positive change. To learn more, visit www.katesiner.com. This is Dr. Kate Siner, and this is Real Answers, and uh, we've been talking about play and how play can be so helpful and beneficial to our life. So um, there is, uh, Dr. Stuart Brown says from the National Institute of Play, he defines it as a voluntary and pleasurable act that offers a sense of engagement, takes you out of time, and whose efforts are more important than outcome. Okay, so a sense of engagement takes you out of time and whose efforts are more important than outcome. And if you're someone who likes to do a lot of, of reading, um, you might recognize that what uh, Dr. Brown is saying about play is very si- simple, uh, uh, similar to what's talked about when people are say that they're in a state of flow. Um, that they are in that, uh, high, um, high performance space. That they are, you know, that people uh, who are, um, highly creative, um, or athletes. You know, this all goes to this, this place of it. They're engaged out of time and they're very involved in the process of what it is that they're doing. But there's something wonderful about, um, about play where, um, it has more to do with the way that you approach things than what it is that you're doing. Okay. So I brought up brainstorming, brainstorming at a meeting. Is that play or is that not play? Well, it's not so much that it is or it isn't play. It's that it could be and it might not be. So it all has to do with how is it that you are approaching that experience? And some people will even say that you can, it's almost like it's on a, like a, a spectrum. So you could be 10% at play or you could be, you know, 60% at play. So that there can be a degree of playfulness or not playfulness in what it is that you're doing. 
And everything, it has everything to do with the way that you're engaging with what you're doing. So for one person, playing soccer could be play. And for another person, it could be absent of play. Right? And this starts to become really interesting. If you looked at your own life, what would you say? What percentage of your life feels playful? And, you know, there are a lot of people out there who would say that they really don't feel that play factors into their life or the way that they play is something like um, uh, maybe they get drunk or maybe they watch TV or, you know, they do something that distracts them and gives them sort of as close as possible, uh, as close as possible, um, experience to actual play. Right? So you can see how those things, when, when people say, well, you know, if you are, uh, you know, if you're, if you're drinking or you're watching TV or whatever, these things are, are not healthy. But, well, you know, on the spectrum of things, they, they can serve different purposes, but one of the things that they might do that disrupts a person's overall health is they interfere with more wholesome forms of play, ways that instead of just being distracted, we can actually be engaged and and we can be uh, involved in a process just because we love being involved in the process. Another thing that people do instead of play is that they're often very connected to their technology. And so the technology serves as that distraction, right, or that disconnection. Uh, that's a break can be a break. We know there's multiple things around technology and how it works for us, but it can be a break from, you know, that everyday way of, of thinking. But it might not get us as far as being truly playful. Because by being truly playful, we, we might have that full on experience of being able to explore our environment or whatever it is that we're engaged with to be able to explore it in such a way that it shows us what it is that we are all about, what we're interested in, um, what, you know, how we feel about things. You know, it helps us get in touch with the core of who we are. Because when you engage with your environment that way, where you let everything go except for the pleasure, play is a pleasurable act, except for the pleasure in what you're doing, then you are able to... So when you when you let go of things that are like... You know, you, you just engage in the pleasurable act. 
then you're able to see, oh, wow, yeah, this is something I really like. Oh, no, this isn't something that I really like. And you can even play with things in a way that is pleasurable. Ew, I don't like that, you know, can be a way of playing and and also expressing, um, uh, you know, a, a, that something is displeasing. It's like you're having fun with that. Like, you know how little kids might like being grossed out or something like that. They might find it kind of have a, a bit of a pleasure in that. Well, play can allow that to happen in our lives. So when we start to follow this pleasure, we give ourselves this time and this space to follow this pleasure in our life. We learn so much. Not only does it have those like just benefits, you know, neurological benefits, but we also learn so much about how to make our lives more pleasurable. how to put things together so that they are truly supportive of what it is that uh, makes us the happiest. So without that exploration through play, we're limited in our ability to create the type of life that we want to create. Additionally, Without a capacity to play, we can take anything, any part of our life, even the fun aspects of life, and we can turn them into work. I mean, this is a very serious problem. Uh, when everything in a person's life is approached like it's work. There is a, um, there's a, a really high price for that. There's a really big cost for that. Because it turns what could be an exploration of all of the different things that we come across in the course of our life and a willingness to open up to the pleasurable ac- aspects of life. And it takes that and it makes everything that comes our way one more thing on our to-do list. And an unfortunate uh, amount of people live like this on a regular basis. And um, it's actually such a large amount of people that in many ways it can be looked at as normal, as acceptable. Well, let's flip that around. Like, say that's your approach to life or say that's, you know, 75% of your approach to life. Now, then rate how happy you think that you are if you approach everything like a chore. How happy are you if you approach 75% of the things in your life as another thing on your to-do list, another thing to get done? And what's that effect? Do 
what's what's that effect on you over time and how from that would you imagine that you would be able to reach a goal of feeling really satisfied with your life really fulfilled in your life having that sense of life life purpose having that overwhelming sense of peace and well-being. How possible is that if life is a to-do list? Or if we don't make it that extreme, it's just devoid of playing. And so by not playing, we can lose sight of what keeps us fully alive. And sometimes you'll see it when people have, you know, they have kids or whatever. And then, and there's like, there's a couple different things, right? One is that someone has a kid and of course their responsibilities increase. And that's a really, uh, when, when responsibilities increase or when the stakes get higher, that's a really easy time, uh, to, to forget, uh, that to play. But one of the wonderful things about kids, if we're open to it, is that they remind us how to play. And I'm pretty sure that if you've had kids or been around kids, there's been a a moment in time where it's been like, "Ah, I can't take the play. You know, I've got things to do. I can't play right now. You know? I've got, you know, that's not, I mean, there's so many different sayings that come out of that, that conflict between adults and children in play. And it shows how much we've changed over the course of our lives. And I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't change. I'm not suggesting that adults should act like children um, in order to be healthy. There are, of course, changes over time. And there are, there are different ways of being in the world as an adult than as a child. That's clear and, and, and obvious. However, by maintaining a healthy relationship to play, it opens the door to quite a bit in our life. Or maybe just like, when I talk about self-care, maybe when you're really busy, that's the time you need to focus on self-care the most, right? Maybe when we're feeling uh, stressed or disconnected or our life feels full of obligations, maybe instead of saying, oh, I just got to get this done. I just got to get this done. The best thing we could possibly do for ourselves would be to play. To give ourselves that space and that release. To just explore and do what it is that is pleasurable for us, that engages us. And be able to drop it also be able to drop it when it seems important to do so 
meaning that you don't have to play it anything longer than it holds your interest. And maybe by engaging in that play and getting that space, we'll actually be able to approach the situations in our life in a much more creative way. It's almost that by, by freeing up, freeing ourselves up to be able to have these new connections and new insights without trying to have them, without intending to have them, when we return to whatever it is that we're doing, we return in a much more intelligent way, in a much more connected way. So, by playing, by remembering to disengage from the obligations and to-do list and just to move into a place of playfulness, we can potentially get so much further with all of those adult activities that we need to be taking care of. So that's one way to use play to have it make a big difference in your life is to recognize when the over-focus, when the, you know, complete work mode comes in and it stops us from being as creative and innovative and alive as we could be. And by playing, maybe we find new ways to engage. And when I come back after this break, what I'd like to talk about is what is it like to incorporate a playful attitude into everything we do, right? So one is if we're, if we're kind of clamping down on life, what if we, we step away and we engage or we do something playful in order to be able to re-engage another way? But when I come back from this break, I'd like to talk about what happens if we make every aspect of our life a little bit more playful. And I'll be back in just a couple minutes after this break to talk about that. change you wish to see is a phrase that gets said a lot, but the question is how? Dr. Kate Siner provides programs and mentoring that give you the real-life tools to make the changes you wish to see. Her personally tailored services combine almost two decades of work with the grit and compassion that can only come from a life fully and passionately lived that support you on your path of positive change. To learn more and get started, visit www.katesigner.com. Are you craving positive change in an area of your life? Dreaming of work that is meaningful or relationships that are authentic and connected? Internationally recognized author and facilitator, Dr. Kate Siner is a compassionate and fearless advocate for positive change. 
Through personally tailored programs and masterful mentoring, Dr. Kate's genius lies in helping you get connected to your true self so you can make a difference in the world starting with you. Visit www.katesigner.com. Hey, uh, this is Dr. Kate Siner, and this is Real Answers, and I've been talking about the value and the benefits of play in our lives. And uh, specifically before the break, I was talking about how we can step away from what it is that we're so focused on and and play for a bit in order to gain new perspective and reconnect with what we're doing in a way that might be uh, ultimately more productive for us. And then I said I wanted to talk a little bit about what does it mean to incorporate playfulness into our everyday life. And so I think that what needs to happen first is really a a confession. Um, The confession on my part is that play has historically been one of the more difficult things for me to incorporate in my life. Somehow, even from when I was a very small child, I was a very serious, serious child. And so my way of playing looked a little bit different maybe than some other kids form of playing. And um, because of this, I often looked at myself as being not, uh, I often looked at myself as not being a playful person. But what we want to do is take a look at it and instead of um, looking at play as an activity, let's take a look at it as like a mindset and approach. Um, because it's, it's the approach that we can incorporate into all areas of our life. And by incorporating that approach, we can start to create this way of being that is so much more enjoyable. So once again, to be playful doesn't mean that you need to do things that um, children do. You, you might. That might be a wonderful thing to do. Uh, that might be a wonderful thing to do, to be able to, um, you know, kind of engage that really childlike part of ourselves. However, the the other thing that you can do is you can remember that since playfulness is really that attitude, um, that you don't have to regress in order to be playful. You just have to be willing to let go of that outcome and settle more into enjoyment, into pleasure. Right? So you let go of, I gotta get this done, I gotta get this done, oh, there's something else, and oh, I gotta do this, and I gotta do this other thing, or whatever. And instead, in your everyday life, you say, okay, like, what, is, what if I were to do this in a way that really felt good to me? How would I do it? That's a very powerful question. 
We don't ask that question enough. What if I were to do this in a way that really felt good to me? How would I do it? And by asking that question, we get to explore sort of a more playful approach to things, right? But as soon as we start to contemplate that a little bit too seriously, we've moved out of the realm of play, right? As soon as we start to think, well, you know, if I were to do these three things on a regular basis, then that would be, I would be being more playful. We've stopped, we've kind of stopped the playful train. And we've moved into, I've now regimented playfulness. Right? This is one of the reasons we lose our playfulness over time is that it, that it gets, it gets a little too, too structured. So, if we look at how could I do this in a way that's more pleasurable? What does it feel like to, instead of worry about uh, outcome or obsess about outcome, actually allow ourselves to be with the process of things, which is what a lot of what I've been talking about when I've been talking about, you know, creating harmony with our environment is to allow ourselves to be with the process of things. And playfulness is an, another kind of a, a, it's another slant on it where not only are we just with the process of things, but we're, we're going forward in a way that is really pleasurable. Let me give a tiny example. This is not a very playful example, but this is a tiny example of how things can change. Let's just say that, you know, you are on your way to a meeting of some kind. You're on your way to a meeting of some kind and you notice that you are really hungry. And so you can A, because you're, you know, running a little bit late, go to the meeting and deal with it. Or you can... B, find yourself a relatively quick snack and get to the meeting. Maybe call ahead, have food get get there when you get there. But one way that you show up, you're going to be uncomfortable on top of who knows what the meeting's about. But you're going to be uncomfortable inside yourself. You know you're really hungry. The other way, you're you're not. You're going to be more comfortable. It's, it's going to be more pleasurable right off the bat. You've taken a d- step in the direction of pleasure. Even if it's not uh, playful yet, you've gone in the direction of pleasure by allowing yourself to be more comfortable in the environment. Right. So we can actually use pleasure to step us in the direction of play, even if we're not so playful right off the bat. So you can look at those areas, where is it that I am kind of uncomfortable that I could allow myself to be a little bit more comfortable or I could step into pleasure a little bit more. And then we can go even further with something like that. I start to get into, that's just like taking the edge off things, the edge that we frequently live with. 
So taking the edge off things, but going even more into that is, you know, the willingness to find humor in situations. The willingness to, you know, uh, be uh, creative or imaginative, right? The, the, so in that kind of being a little bit more humorous or playful, it's just like, how else could you be looking at this situation or how else might you approach the situation? Can there be some, some joking? And even if, say you're in a situation where maybe, uh, humor would be off-putting to people involved, um, that doesn't mean you wouldn't be able to kind of engage in that way inside of yourself to keep yourself creative and alert. Like what else could be happening? What other ways could you look at your current environment or the people in it? Once again, when you're deliberate like this, you're moving a little bit away from that spontaneous playfulness. But you, it can take you in the direction of, if this, this is something that's really missing in your life, it can take you in the direction of playfulness. So that you can continue to develop it, continue to develop um, your your playful attitude. And then it's great to engage our imagination, right? And so when we engage our imagination, it starts, it, it helps us, it supports us in becoming more playful. So in my, my life work community program this last time, we were talking about creativity. And in the creativity, we had this, you know, kind of mad hatterish tea party. And in it, there was a lot of, you know, creative dialogue. And that creative dialogue sparked a lot of laughter, you know, and in in the willingness to just kind of be with whatever it is that came up, whether it was appropriate or not appropriate. And then, of, the, of course, that brought more laughter. And so you can feel like when you're in a situation like that, and you can feel the laughter kind of um, starting to you know, move in you and starting to, you know, uh, loosen you up. You start to get a little bit more playful than you're willing to, you know, just do it just because it feels good. Stop thinking as much. And then that in and of itself is just an enjoyable process. As long as we don't bring in that, you know, ego, you know, sort of the parental voice that might tell us that what we're doing is bad or wrong, right? Or other people aren't going to like it or I shouldn't have done that. Like all of those, that kind of thinking is what gets in the way of our ability to play. 
that, you know, extreme self-consciousness about uh, what is acceptable or appropriate or what will leave us being, you know, uh, what will liked or disliked. Those are the kind of things that start to take away from our ability to just be in the moment. So you can think of creative circumstance because as you bring yourself into environments and you do things that are just a little bit different, they don't have to be really extreme. But you put on a silly hat, right? Or you say something offbeat. Or, you know, you take a little skip. And as you do that thing that is just outside of the norm, it sort of gets the impulse going. And that's what's most important is you get the impulse going and then you can start to play with it. And we think, you know, as kids we do this so naturally and as adults we really don't. Most of us don't. We don't recognize that there's like sort of this this uh, thing you know, this this energy that comes alive when we start to do something a little outside the norm and then we get to, to follow it and that has a lot of potency to it. It has, uh, you know, and, and it, it, we connect with it at a, at a very deep level. It's like we come alive. It's one of the reasons why people, when they leave and they do personal development work or something like that, they come back and they feel so refreshed. It's because they've stepped outside of that regimented world that they've been living in. And that opens the door to so much. So by doing these little things, you can start to find ways to incorporate play into your everyday life. You can start to find ways to make everything that you do a little bit more like play. A little bit more based on pleasure. A little bit less about outcome. And a little bit more about the process versus the the end result. And as you do these kind of things, you're incorporating more and more play into your life. In every aspect of your life. Right? So you're enjoying yourself. You're feeling happier. You're feeling more pleasure. You're, you're engaged in your life in a way that feels really good to you on a regular basis without needing to step outside of it to be playful. Of course, that's always a great thing to do. So that's some of the ways that you can start to work with play to to support you in living a more deeply fulfilled life, a richer life. We really can't create a rich life without having an element of play in it. It is essential. It's essential to who we are. So I want to thank you once again for joining me today on Real Answers. It's been great talking to you about uh, play. And in this upcoming, in these upcoming weeks, I'm going to be talking to you a little bit more about creativity. 
and how we can use creativity and inspiration to create more of what it is that we want in our lives. So I look forward um, to having you join me next week uh, to talk about this. And um, I will talk to you then. You've been listening to Real Answers with your host, Dr. Kate Siner. Her purpose is to inspire you to create positive change inside and out. Visit Dr. Kate on her website at www.katesiner.com with Dr. Kate and see how she can help.